Thanks for listening to the High Street Young Adults Podcast. For more information and how to get connected, check out highstreet.org slash youngadults. Man, I'm glad you guys are here. Like, the semester's just starting, right? This is week three, and we're going all the way through December. So uh, I'm just glad that y'all are here with us tonight. Uh, we kicked off a series last week. Uh, if you weren't here, go back on our YouTube channel, on our podcast. Um, and as Jared said earlier, be sure to subscribe. Uh, but check out Jared's message from last week. We're calling this series Full Send. And what we're doing is we're going through the book of Colossians, all right? And uh, we're going to be traveling through it for question mark, meaning I don't know how long we're going to be in it, but we're going to keep growing through it. Uh, and tonight we're going to be in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20, if you want to go ahead and open that up. Plug here also, we are going to try and keep posting our read ahead on Instagram. So if you're not following us on the gram, go ahead and be sure to hit us up uh, or Facebook. We want you all to be able to process some of what uh, we're going to be talking about before you even get here, you know. So uh, we posted that as we will continue to do that. But Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. And so uh, really tonight's message, what we're calling this is, I don't want a side of Jesus, I don't want a side of Jesus. Like, okay, I don't, Jesus isn't a side dish. Like, Jesus is the main course. Understand what I'm saying? And so I don't want a side of Jesus, but I want the whole thing. And so as we go through this tonight, I want you to keep that in mind as we apply this to our lives. All right, cool. So um, I want to start by telling a story because I think it helps us make sense of what uh, we're really talking about tonight. And speaking of tonight, like, we're talking about some foundational things. And if you don't understand these foundational things, if you don't understand what we're talking about tonight, your ability to follow Jesus is not going to be what it needs to be. The uh, understanding you have of, of who Jesus is and the role that God plays in your life, if you don't understand these foundational things, you're going to miss out. So that's what we're talking about. Uh, shout out to everybody who goes to Missouri State, uh, where my most state bear people at, all right? I didn't even have a Missouri State t-shirt when I went there, true confession. But when I was there, all right, I was a PE major, just to tell, so like physical education, just shout out to Cass, a PE teacher. We got other PE teachers in the room, come on. So I thought I was going to be playing dodgeball with kids my whole life, but turns out now I'm working full-time here at High Street. But uh, when I was at Missouri State, I took a class called kinesiology, all right? Sounds really smart, okay? I was in kinesiology, all right? And uh, this class was kind of a, um, a feared class, I guess you would say, in my major, and is anybody like the anxious person that I was already nervous about it like two weeks before the school year started? I'm like, man, how am I going to pass this? And, and uh, you're getting yourself all worked up. And so going into this class, I'm like, I'm in trouble, okay? Uh, I was nervous about it. I'm naturally a worrier, so I had to like dial it down a little bit like God's got me, okay? Uh, but I was sitting there, and the first day in class, our professor, he's a funny guy, man. He used to wear these shirts that like it looked like he was going to a 70s disco every day, like chest hair popping out. I'm like, you're a professor, man. Get that top button. So, uh, And he, he, he says this on day one. He goes, yeah, and he kind of said it in passing, right? So this is why I was getting real nervous. He goes, yeah, you're going to need to know some trigonometry in order to succeed in this class. You're going to have to know how to do sine, cosine, and tangent. And I'm like, hold up. Uh, in high school, I went from algebra, like the algebra 2 class you're supposed to be in, I dropped down to the remedial algebra 2 class because I, <laughs> I was not succeeding very well. But let me tell you, when I went down to remedial algebra, star in that class. I was like the good student. So it felt good, you know, you just got to know your role. So I'm thinking, I've never even been, 
I don't know anything about trigonometry, okay? I can barely say the word, and I definitely don't know what sine, cosine, and tangent mean. And if I'm going to try and calculate the force of a vector, I'm in, I'm in a world of hurt here. So I did what any college student would do at Missouri State. I went to the bear claw. Yeah, some of y'all been there before. I, went to, I use it all the time. I'm, I'm sitting here, and I, I, I go to the Bear Claw, which is like the tutoring center, and I go in, and I have, uh, I sit down with a girl who's same age as me, uh, just way smarter, and she teaches me how to do this basic trigonometry. Turns out, wasn't that hard of what I needed to know for the class, had no idea, but she taught me how to do this, and I took the time to learn and, how to, and to understand how to do this small piece of trigonometry that would be critical in my class the whole semester. And what happened is there's five tests in this class, and every test built off the first test. Meaning if you did well on the first test, you're probably going to do well on the fifth test because everything built on top of one another. And so what happened was is actually I had, I was talking to Jared about this today. I had friends in my program way smarter than me, way more naturally gifted when it comes to mathematics. And they struggled because they didn't take the time on the front end to understand the basics, to understand the fundamentals of this course. And because they didn't understand that, they're coming to me freaking out. Uh, in December because they're like, man, I'm not going to pass this class. You know, they're getting D's and C's on this test. And I'm over there like chilling. I'm like, I'm good. Okay. I went to the bear paw and got my help. And so uh, that was one time where what I did actually paid off. And so I did well in that class because I committed myself to knowing some of those things. And sometimes it helps when we have an understanding of some basic things. When we have an understanding, I wouldn't even say basic, really. If we understand, have an understanding of some core things that really matter, it changes the outlook on everything. And what we're talking about tonight will hopefully be something that we can look at every single day, whether maybe you're searching out what you believe in, maybe you're a believer, uh, may, maybe you're, you would say, I'm a, I'm a strong believer, I'm hungry, I want to know more about God. No matter where you're at, I think these things will help us. And so the book of Colossians, as Jared talked about last week, this is the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Colossae. He's never been to this city. Paul has never been to this place, but he's writing to this group of people here because, honestly, the church was an absolute mess. That pretty much sums it up. The church was a mess. So Jared talked about a lot last week is they were under the influence of Roman culture. At that time, Rome's the big dog, and they're, they're influencing everything that's going on. They're influencing uh, culture, and they have a presence. And this is affecting the way that people have an outlook on life, have an outlook on who Jesus was. But not only that, there was kind of this movement in the church. There was this movement uh, of what was called Gnosticism, or there was this movement of like mysticism, where what it was is they were viewing Jesus as Jesus was just a step to get closer to God. He was just a step along the path and that there were different levels of this spiritual knowledge and that you could go further. And so this is what had infiltrated the church. So you can imagine like where culture and the church are kind of are like coming together and there's just a mess going on. And Paul, as a leader in the early church, who was um, you know, appointed by God to lead in the, this capacity, he goes to, he, he's writing to these people and he's saying, hey, listen, here's some basic things you need to understand. And this is really what we see in what Jared talked about last week in the beginning of chapter 1. But in verses 15 through 20, we also see this tonight. I want to take just a second to talk about another fundamental thing before we jump into the passage. Because it's going to help us to understand. 
I think there's always these words, right, where it seems a little bit weird maybe in Western culture. And if you've grown up in church or you know anything about church, like you might have heard the Trinity before or the Holy Trinity or the Godhead, the Godhead three in one. You've heard maybe this term and it's like, what does that mean? Okay. And maybe you're like, okay, that means Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But if you're in any religion class in, you know, the United States, you're going to hear about that Christianity is what? It's a monotheistic faith, meaning one God. It's not polytheistic. There's not multiple gods. There's a belief in one God. Ephesians 4, 6 says there's one God and Father of all who is over all, through all, and in all. This is Paul writing in Ephesians 4, 6. The same guy that's writing the letter we're reading tonight, this is the same thing he was saying. And, and he echoes this in others' letters. We see this throughout Scripture that there's one God. But it's like, okay, there's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Godhead three in one. How is it that this Trinity, that God is all of these things, yet he's one? And, it, and it, it's something, can I be honest with you? Y'all ever struggled with that? It's like, how is it three things in one thing? Like, that doesn't exist. You can't be three things in one thing at the same time. And you try and wrap your mind around. I've heard analogies for this. One analogy that people will give sometimes is like, it's like water. You know, water can be ice. It can be water like you would see in the ocean. It can be a gas. But that's not all three things the same at one time. Like, how can God be all the same at one time? And I think these questions sometimes scare us. And it's like, I don't understand that. So instead of diving into it more, or instead of stepping out in faith, I'm going to shy away from it. I've been there before with lots of different things. But if I think about it like this. If God is God, if he's a creator, if he created you and he created me in this world and he has a plan and purpose and uh, he's God, right? Then if I just picked up God's word, the Bible, and understood everything first read, then like I'm good. That's what I did with Harry Potter, all right? When I was seventh grade, I picked up Harry Potter, read the first 100 pages. I was like, I got the whole thing. I don't need to read anymore, Okay. Any HP fans in here that are mad at me for not finishing, I'm sorry. But I felt like I had it, you know? And so I don't want us to approach like, that's a good thing. If God is the infinite all-being creator of the universe, and we understand everything at first reading, like, I can't wrap my mind around the Trinity. How could God be three and one at the same time? I don't have to understand every piece of that. There's a Christian apologist or, uh, you know, theologian. And that's just fancy words for a guy that really argued the case of God. And uh, his name was Ravi Zacharias. And Ravi Zacharias just actually passed away. But in one of his books I was reading, he says this. He says, our demand for infinite knowledge is insatiable. And to think there is a being who is beyond our capability of dissecting and studying scientifically is more than some of us can handle. And as I read that, I'm like, that's kind of right. There's things in Scripture I don't necessarily understand and I can't dissect. But you know what? I'm okay with that. Because if God is the creator of the universe, like, I shouldn't expect to wrap my mind around every single thing that he does. And when it comes to the Trinity that God is three in one, like, okay, that's a foundational truth we need to understand. And so as we dive into uh, 1 Colossians uh, verses 15 through 20, I want you to keep that in mind. Let's hop into verse 15. It says, Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. 
And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Moving on to verse 18, it says, And he is head of the body, the church. It's Jesus. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. This is a beautiful piece of scripture right here. And as we see it, like, and as we start to break it down, it's like there's some things in here. Like how does this apply to my life? And I want to jump back up to verse 15. And the first thing it says is he is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is the, was the physical representation of God on earth. That Jesus was, existed since the beginning of time, right? But then he, was, he came to heaven, right? God sent him to heaven to be a visible image of the invisible God. That as we read through the Gospels, the book of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, and we read through the writings of the New Testament, and as we look at the Old Testament, the time before Jesus, that everything was pointing towards him. That as we look at what was said about him and what he did, that that was the character of God literally here on earth. And that as we read through the Gospels, what we do is we take it and we apply that to our lives. And we see that, hey, that's the character of God right there. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Especially when Paul was writing, there's privilege to being the firstborn. Now, I was the lastborn uh, in my family. By two minutes, I have a twin brother, but I'm still a little salty about it, okay? I'm the lastborn in my family. But to be the firstborn in a family was to be in a place where you inherited the everything. You inherited, when, when, when your parents were gone, you inherited what they had. And so right here, what he's saying is like, hey, Jesus was the firstborn of all creation. And as we read the following verses, 16 and 17, for by him all things were created in heaven on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Maybe there's somebody in here tonight and you're sitting there, and you don't have much self-worth. I think we've all been there at times. I've definitely had seasons of that. And if you think it's something you grow out of, you don't. And I'm 29, and I still have moments where I'm like, man, I am worthless. I am useless. God can't use me. Uh, or, or I even think, like, what am I even doing here? Do I have any value or worth? Why am I not further than what I am? Why am I not, uh, you know, doing something different? Why am I not achieving more? And I sometimes look at myself whether you don't like the way you look, or you don't like to, you know, whatever, that Jesus say, hey, I created you. You were created through me and for me. That's a promise that some of you all need to hear tonight. That's a promise. That's why if you're a girl, you don't have to post uh, pictures to Instagram of you in a bathing suit and hoping to get likes and being fulfilled in that way because Jesus already created you for a reason and for a purpose that you don't need likes on Instagram. That's not what's going to fill you up. If you're a guy sitting in here and, and, and you're thinking, man, I just got to sleep with however many girls I can. That's, that's what I've got to do or I've got to achieve. That, you don't have to do that. That doesn't, that doesn't make you successful. That doesn't give you worth in life. That what gives you worth is that you were created by Jesus for a purpose. Things invisible and invisible. He created all of it. And I love that invisible and visible. I, I really think in Western culture sometimes, like, we shy away from that. It's like, hold up, what are you talking about? Invisible. But can y'all feel that ever in your life that something evil is going on? You see something and you're like, that's not right. 
right? Or you see something that, that you just feel that the presence of God is there. They, they, there's things that are invisible and visible. And the things that are good, right, those are from Jesus. And that invisible battle that's going on, Satan is waging war around us. But in him, all things are held together. Isn't that a hope? You know why I could sing like the way that I was when I was down here? Hallelujah, it is finished. Hallelujah, it is done. Like I'm sitting there proclaiming that because I know that Jesus is holding all things together because he created all things. That's a peace that our world needs. In 2020 and 2021, I've been laughing a lot lately. I did see a funny meme the other day that said, um, in these, I, they're like, I'm ready for some precedented times instead of unprecedented times. I thought that was clever. But honestly, is 2020 any different than any other year? World's just as broken today as it was, as it was a year ago, 10 years ago, 50 years ago, 10 years from now. The world is still going to be a broken place. Jesus is the only thing that can hold your soul together. That's it. Moving on to verse 18, it says, And Jesus is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. And here's the thing. It's just because I'm standing up here and I'm talking, I'm not the head of the church. Like Jesus is the head of the church. Pastor Eddie is the head of High Street Church right here in Springfield, Missouri. He's our leader. But this church is led by Jesus, by God. He is the head of the church. See Ephesians 5 if you're looking for an example to apply to your marriage. That Jesus is the head of the church. He's leading it. This isn't a man-made, created movement. That it was actually sparked by Jesus and only continues in the name of Jesus. That's it. That's the reason why the church exists. And so, so some of you might feel... And I always think about this because I was a teacher for seven years. And, and one of the most painful things that you can ever see a child go through is to feel like no one wants them from their own family. To feel like they, they don't, and maybe that's your story. Maybe you didn't feel wanted by your parents. I can't imagine the pain that comes. I, re, I really can't wrap my mind around how painful that is, to be honest with you. But Jesus is the head of the church, which is a body of believers. This is why this group matters. This is why one of the five things we want you to do here at High Street is to attend a service and to get involved, to get in a group. We're going to kick groups off next week here in Young Adults. The reason you need community is like you belong to a group of believers that are led by Jesus, who is the leader of the church. He's the firstborn from the dead. What does that mean? Firstborn from the dead. Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. Well, here's the deal. Jesus is the only person to have defeated death in the grave. The story of Jesus is that he was, buried, he was killed on a cross. He was buried in a tomb, but he rose three days later. So when he's the firstborn of the dead, he, he, he takes ownership and leading, and that he has overcome the grave. Hey, if Jesus didn't overcome the grave, then all of this means nothing. But because Jesus overcame the grave, that's why in spite of persecution, in spite of martyrdom in the early church, it was hard to be a believer in the early church. It continued, and it grew, and it multiplied. As you read through the book of Acts, one of the things you see is that even in the midst of persecution, the church continued to grow. And why was that? Because Jesus, he literally defeated death in the grave. He's the firstborn. 
that in everything he might be preeminent, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. The one in the commentaries I was reading, it said it like this, that if, if the most obvious application question we can have in our lives in, listening to the, in, in responding to this passage is, if Jesus is preeminent, this in, then is he preeminent in our lives? He wasn't being first for the people of Colossae then, right? Rome had influence. There was Gnosticism and mysticism and all this was was moving about. And and people were like, I'll take a side of Jesus. Like, I'm cool with that. I'll entertain the thought. Doesn't that sound like modern America? I'm going to do my thing. I'll take a side of Jesus. I'm going to come to church on a Sunday and I'm going to call it good. Like, that's good for me. But you can't just have a side of Jesus. He is either everything to you or he's nothing to you. He's preeminent. In our lives. And if you're a believer in here, what you should do, anybody hype yourself up in the morning in the mirror? Nobody, just me? Okay, give yourself a little pep talk. I know some of y'all girls like, no, it's a little sticky note on your mirror. I know some of y'all do that, okay? I've done that before too. It's not just a girl thing. Um, And so when you're hyping yourself up in the morning, okay, some of y'all need to hype yourself up in the morning. I can feel it, all right? You got to get a little fire in you in the morning. And so um, I would suggest some coffee. But uh, what, you, what you're thinking is like, am I preeminent? I like, not am I preeminent, is Jesus preeminent in my life today? Practically speaking, tomorrow morning, Wednesday at 7.30 a.m. or whenever you get up, is Jesus preeminent in your life? Are your decisions motivated by him? Are your thoughts motivated by him? Are your actions motivated by him? Is your schedule motivated by him? And what happens is we get so busy, isn't it so easy to not let Jesus be preeminent? Let me tell you this. Wherever you're at right now, whatever you're doing in life right now, I can bet you, I can't guarantee it, but I can bet you that it's probably only going to get harder to keep Jesus as preeminent. Have a kid, let me tell you. And then next thing you know, you're changing a diaper in the morning and you're watching little baby bum because if you don't have a little baby bum on, then there's going to be a fit. And so you're trying to just manage all this different stuff. And it's like, okay, it's harder to have Christ be preeminent at that time. The time to start doing that and to think that way is right now. Because if Jesus isn't preeminent in our life, remember, this is that foundational thing. If he's not preeminent in our lives, then our whole mindset It's not where it needs to be in relation to who God is. Moving on in in, in verse 20, it says, And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. What reconcile really means is to be restored, a state of restoration a state of um, bringing harmony back. That's what restora- reconciliation is. It's this rest- re- restorative thing that's happening. And that, and that what he says right here is, and through Jesus, right, and through him, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. And so, again, when I, I just keep thinking about that song we sang and that hallelujah, it is finished. That the only reason that it is, is finished is because of Jesus' restorative work through the cross. That you might be in here and you have pain in your life and brokenness and hurt. Understand that that's everybody. 
understand that that's everyone. That sin, what it does is it separates us from God. That the problem with sin, and and here's the deal with sin, is that it never just affects you. Sin doesn't ever just affect you. It has an effect on everybody around you. It's never just null and void. You might think you have this personal thing. No one else needs to know about it. No one else has to hear about it. This just affects me. That is a myth and a lie. And that's why as Christ followers, if you're a believer in here, why we can't just accept everything that culture says. It's not, we can't, now now there's a way to do it, right? In a loving way, in a grace-filled way, but we can't allow everything that culture says, this is right, you do you, this is okay, that that's not all right. Sin always affects more than just the person who is sinning. And if you don't feel at peace in your life tonight, if you don't feel like, you know what, I I have just like an overwhelming sense of, hey, things are going to be okay. I want to ask you, have you ever accepted what Jesus did on the cross? That the only way that, that what Jesus did is that all of creation was restored and brought back to harmony through what he did on the cross. That's the only option you can take. That there is something going on in your heart, in every single one of our hearts, that is not right. And it separates us from God. And Jesus is the only one who can restore that and offer us that hope. That's it. He's the only person. And so really the challenge of Paul to the church at Colossae and to the people who lived there was this. Is go full sinned. Hey, what a, what a great time in your life right now. We're all young adults in here. Whether you're in college, post-college, you're just working, whatever you're doing. That this is the time right now to allow Christ to be preeminent. To go full sinned on this Jesus thing. Because you can't have a side of Jesus. you got to understand these basic things that are going on. And as I get ready to close here, I want to read, read this quote. I think it's pretty powerful, um, and it, it's from uh, an English writer. The guy's name was H.G. Wells. Never read anything he's written, to be honest with you, all right? But I saw this quote. Um, maybe check it out. I'm sure some of it's good, right? Um, he, d- he passed away in 1946, but th- this is what he said. And this was not, he, he was not a believer. He says, I am a historian. I am not a believer, but I must confess as a historian that this penniless preacher from Nazareth is irrevocably the very center of history. Jesus Christ is easily the most dominant figure in all history. And when I read that, one response we have is, man, how could you, how could you think that that's who Jesus was, that he's the most critical figure in history, right? He's the center point. And yet you don't, like you don't, you don't recognize him and say, man, maybe there was something going on. H.G. Wells had to make a choice. He noted what Jesus did. Changed the world. The whole world completely changed because of him. Turned the world upside down. But all of us have to make a decision. Is Jesus going to be the Lord of our life or is he not? Are we going to allow him to be preeminent in our lives or are we not? 
And so my challenge is, is that as we go throughout our days, are we approaching Christ as preeminent above all things? Not what culture tells us, not what somebody else tells us, but what God's word has to say to our lives. Is he preeminent? I wanna ask you guys to bow your head for a second as we close here. Thank mm-hmm. you.